Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, 31st of August, and we're going to be discussing Hurricane Harvey and G's changing leadership. Joining me in the studio is Motley Fool Premium Analyst Taylor Muckerman, and on Skype all the way from Switzerland is Sean O'Reilly. Sean, you're kindly handing the uh, show hosting torch over to me after years of running the Energy Industry Focus show, and you're becoming a full-time writer and full contributor. How does it feel to now be in the gig economy? Um, It uh, could not be happier. You have been one of the arguably best hires I've ever seen full editorial (laughs) ever make. I'll pay you later. um, uh, As Taylor, as I'm sure elucidated we've been talking about oil for oh i don't know two and a half years now and um there's so much more to be done out there so your background with rolls royce you know making jet engines and everything you were a a middle manager there um could not be happier with what you'll bring to the industry focus podcast with um all that the energy industrial space has to offer awesome thank you sean i wasn't expecting such a warm welcome i'll have to pay the bribe uh, no vacation's <laughs> treating him well Washington. apparently happy go lucky sean the british accent taylor british accent am i right yeah her, her accent is better than your than your attempt at it that's not difficult <laughs> my, my, my ohio my accent yeah yeah that one <laughs> Um, so today we're going to talk a little about GE, saying goodbye to longtime CEO Jeff Emmelt. And later in the sh- we're going to do that later in the show. But before we do, uh, I feel like we have to touch on Hurricane Harvey. Uh, the governor of Texas has called the storm one of the largest natural disasters America has ever faced. Harvey reached um, the U.S. on Friday as a Category Four storm and has so far claimed the lives of 30 people. So there's some just truly awful images coming out of Texas right now, and we really feel for everybody who's been affected by it. The storm yesterday made its second landfall in Louisiana, and it looks like there's more devastation to come. So Taylor, natural disasters such as this have far-reaching effects, but I keep seeing headlines um, around the impact Harvey may have on America's oil and gas industry. Yeah, um, when you see, obviously terrible in any city, but um, when you see a, a storm like this hit a city as large and important as Houston is, um, being the fourth largest city in America and uh, home to over six million people, definitely um, it, it's not just going to impact Texas or I mean, the city of Houston or just even Texas. Um, home to pretty much every oil and gas job you can think of, um, every type, not not every single one, but um, headquarters of 20 Fortune 500 companies, and uh, a lot of those are in the oil and gas space, and so. Huge ports, huge airports, and you talk about the oil and gas industry. Refineries on the Gulf Coast have been shut down. I think upwards of 20% of our refining capacity has been shut down. Um, the port of, I believe it's the port of Corpus Christi, uh, is one of the the key oil export ports. So you're seeing that be uh, negatively impacted by the storm, and it reflected in the price of gasoline skyrocketing and the price of oil collapsing. Um, because you have now these refineries being shut down, the demand for oil isn't there from these refineries, so stockpiles are potentially building. Even though we've lost probably 500,000 barrels per day in oil production because of this, a temporarily lost, um, you're still seeing that demand shrink from the refineries, and um, traders 
billing up the price of gasoline because there's nothing coming out of these refineries as an end product. Um, so I think you saw the largest spike in gas prices in, in several years because okay. of this. And that's gas at the pump rather gas, than. Yeah, it, it's uh, the the price that we'll eventually pay um, once those the price increases filter their way down from. Um, the prices the traders are paying to the prices that we'll end up paying. So okay. you're definitely going to see an uptick over the next few days uh, if you fill up your car. And Sean, um, what do you think kind of the long-term impact of this will be, or do you think there will be a long-term impact? Um, no, I was actually just thinking as Taylor was uh, just giving a rundown of the situation. Um, you know, you've got the the largest oil refinery in the country, the uh, the Motiva Enterprises refinery. It's like six hundred thousand barrels a day. Uh, prepare for shutdown yesterday and you know the 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 price of gasoline skyrocketing but the price of oil dropping and i thought you know this will obviously reverse and normalize uh once once the situation abates um long term this this will be a blip on the map but short term obviously the devastation in houston is uh uh horrific one thing that we might learn long term is though what happens to these shale wells if they get shut down uh prematurely and then they try to restart them there is some worry that uh some of the wells they've had to shut down in the eagle ford and even offshore um offshore is more conventional drilling but um the onshore shale wells, they're nervous that they won't be able to return the the pressure that they had inside these wells before they shut them down. So um, it'll be interesting to see um, how much production is coming out of these wells once they flip that switch back on. Because okay. I can't remember a time where this the mass shutdown of shale wells has, has been necessitated. So um, it'll be interesting to see. So there could be some short-term. There costs. could, yeah, there could like some of these wells could. Uh, you could see some share prices be hit if these wells don't produce as much as folks were expecting when they were originally drilled. Um, certainly, ones that were drilled um, at an earlier date are probably towards the tail end of their lives, anyways. But um, if you if you just drilled a well a week ago, and it doesn't return to that initial surge, um, you could be losing several several hundred thousands of dollars, if not millions. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's kind of telling on the share prices. They're only down kind of, I'm thinking of Exxon and Chevron are down a quarter of a percent today. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, given the recent malaise in the industry, this is not what was needed. Yeah, no, and those companies are a little more buffeted because they do have the refining uh, capacity, so they're going to benefit from the higher gas prices. But if you look at a pure play producer um, in the shale regions of Texas, the share price might be a little bit more negatively impacted than them. Okay, well, thank you very mm-hmm. much um, for kind of clearing all of that up. Yep. There's a lot of flashy headlines, but um, hopefully it won't be as bad as people Yeah, think. no, it, hopefully it's not as bad, but uh, certainly the importance of Houston um, in our in our nation's economy and global economy with all the rails passing through there um, and the ships dropping off goods and picking up goods, uh, it's vitally important, not just for obviously the the millions of lives that are impacted there, but uh, the hundreds of millions of, of lives and small business owners that could be impacted by yeah. by this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And um, kind of after talking about something so huge, it seems a little trivial, but we are going to briefly touch on GE. Mm-hmm. Um, GE has been in the news a lot lately after it announced that longtime CEO Jeff Emmert will be stepping down to be replaced by GE Healthcare President and CEO John Flannery. Investors uh, seem to have had a mixed feelings about his departure, some hoping that the change in leadership could signal an end to the 16 years of stock price stagnation that's 
I feel like really epitomized Emmelt's mm-hmm. tenure. G's actually the worst performing component of the Dow since he became CEO. Um, the stock's down 20% year to date. So, Sean, I know that uh, Emmelt was a divisive CEO, but what did you make of him? Um, I firmly believe that Emmelt gets a bad rap. Um, there, there's the old saying that you don't uh, don't want to follow a great leader, and he came in after the retirement of the one and only Jack Welch. Uh, how are you supposed to follow that act? Um, you take into that into account, and you take into fact that he was given the reins of a corporation that had this giant financial arm attached to it that arguably, you know, uh, everything's 2020 in hindsight, but shouldn't have been there. And so he had to contend with and spin off one of the largest financial institutions in the country that nobody even knew about. Um, they The, the spinoffs of assets of GE Capital, I think the, the final tally is over $200 billion in assets that the companies like wound down. They, did, they didn't get $200 billion in value because there's obviously uh, more or less equal uh, liabilities tied to those things, but he, he it, it would race without a leg i mean he it's not the best situation to inherit and yet he executed it flawlessly he got rid of the uh uh the ge capital and now it's set up for an at least an attempt at returning to the company's roots in the uh the industrial sector yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they've spun off uh, NBC, which uh, they owned, I think, uh, they spun off their consumer electronics division, their iconic electric uh, light bulb business. Uh, so really, they've made some massive changes. But I think one of the biggest things um, has been Immolt's doubling down on the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor, what do you make of this? And uh, and kind of how, how have they really demonstrated their focus? Yeah, so that's another area where uh, it's kind of um, maybe some poor timing or Maybe just he came in a little too early with this, but um, so he had G Capital collapsing in the the great financial crisis of 2008-2009, and then um, invested very heavily in the oil and gas sector, most notably with the purchase of Baker Hughes, um, which closed earlier this year, making um, GE Baker Hughes the second largest oil and gas services company in the world. Um, you're looking at a company that's going to have... Um, think they're looking at an estimated 2018 revenue was like 34 billion dollars um so no small no small potatoes there um and they really need the the oil and gas sector to turn around Mm -hmm. for this to to, for this to be worth it um and i long term you have to imagine that over the next five to ten years we will see a rebound in oil and gas, regardless of the the much longer term future of the sector. Um, still vitally important when you think about everything outside of fuel that oil and natural gas um, provide feedstocks for. Um, Sean and I talked about this many times, but literally, I would say over 50% of things in your house have some form mm-hmm. of oil or natural gas in them as a feedstock. So, um, companies dumping hundreds of millions of dollars, of billions of dollars into expansions and new plant build-outs in the Gulf Coast on the petrochemical side, um, global industry, and the United States is at the forefront of that. So, I really think that it's tough when you have a company this large um, 
to, to bet on it in the short term. And Baker Hughes deal is still very much in the short term. So I'm not going to write this one off for at least a couple more years. Um, I, I think that the, the broad portfolio that this company offers uh, as a major producer of wind and natural gas turbines, um, the healthcare business, which I think um, did about four, $4 billion in yeah, revenue um, in the first quarter of 2017 out of a total of 20, $28 billion, call it, in the, for the whole company. So um, they've got a leader stepping up from a pretty meaningful division, and um, he, he's known as a very uh, sound operator and has, has driven growth in that division, as well as GE Capital, where he first joined the company. So um, certainly not too much hesitation on my end uh, about where this company can potentially go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really feel as though the restructuring has brought them back to their roots mm-hmm. uh, as kind of the pioneer in energy and, and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the industrial segments are now much more aligned with what I feel are the company's core competencies and their focus on this industrial internet, Yep. I think is really going to be their key to growth. It's going to be kind of through the services, uh, revenue that they're going to get from that. Yeah, um, they're one of the first major companies to really jump into the industrial internet of things with their GE Digital um, branch, and I think it's called Predix is their platform that they launched, and they now have 700 companies working with them in just uh, just about a year's time. So, a lot yeah. of feedback they're going to get, and this is a uh, what they say could be you know upwards of a hundred billion dollar opportunity, not for them, but just the global industrial internet of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for for anybody that's at home wondering. About the industrial internet, I'm sure most people know, but it's really the industrial arm of the internet of things. Mm-hmm. So, an at-home example for you would be able would be you being able to see the temperature of your home from your desk at work mm-hmm. uh, using an app. And really, the way that GE is using this um, is to monitor, to use these. Um, you know, machines and analytics to monitor everything that's going on at the front line of kind of their installed base in industry mm-hmm. and to deliver efficiency improvements um, and monitoring to to those companies. Up to the second uh, uh, efficiency to, yeah. improvements. Yeah. yeah. In my former employer, which was a competitor of GE in the aerospace industry, we mo- moved from a traditional sales model to a power by the hour is what mm-hmm. we called it, a sales model. Um, and yeah, basically you were getting a live stream of uh, every en- every engine that was up in the air, uh, mm-hmm. how it was performing, the fuel economy, uh, how much damage it was sustaining. And, that, and that's really exactly epitomizes what this industrial internet is and what it could offer GE. Um, Sean, you want to weigh in on the industrial internet for GE? Yeah, so Sarah, I'm actually I'm incredibly grateful for you bringing up Rolls Royce and what, what the you know just the the strategy shift you guys had. And Amel did the same thing. He 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 his last you know big innovation was um, trying to ca- characterize GE's efforts in the industrial internet to just basically calling industrial software and what he called an additive manufacturing, which is monitoring what's getting broken and just like being quicker with it. Um, it was really, uh, it was actually the first departure from a lot of what Jack Welsh built with like Six Sigma and everything. But um, I, it, it, it's interesting they chose Flannery, um, but not, there's an interesting parallel for me in choosing a Flannery, and it's not uh, what, what a lot of people are talking about. So this man's a veteran. He was with GE for 30 years. He, I, ultimate company man, and I say that in a positive way, they sent him to India to just build G's operations there went no questions asked the relationships he built the company is still using um and when he was hired in the conference call and i i, I went through that thing with a fine-tooth comb and melt mentioned they, they kept talking up his 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 experience at ge healthcare 
and they talked about he how he ups profit margins and everything. So I was like, oh, obviously profits skyrocket, and they definitely went up. But it was by I, I think he expanded gross profit margins. Don't quote me exactly here, but a little more than one percent. And obviously one percent on billions of dollars is the you know what you want, but. Uh, Simple fact of the matter is it wasn't a explosive, uh, you know, leap. What the beauty of it was was it was through efficiencies, which is kind of what the industrial internet is about. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that Flannery is really focused on what investors want. Um, he wrote a letter to employees that basically said as much. He said, um, "You know, investors understand the importance of GE in the world, but they think we're underperforming. They're expecting better executions on cash margins, and there is a focus on taking cost out." So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's totally aligned with efficiencies, and that really plays into what he's doing with the industrial internet. But um, sorry, Tim. Well, then, then you have uh, activist investor Tryon Capital absolutely. owning about one percent. Huge dollar value, but um, only one percent of shares. But you can already see um, that you know making some some waves with some changes to executive compensation. And this isn't an activist investor that's trying to come in here and change. They just they clearly believe in the future of GE, and they're there waiting in the wings if GE management does need some urging in in the right direction. Um, so. It's not one of those situations where they're investing heavily in G to try and come in here and shake things up dramatically because they think things are being uh, operated in a poor fashion. Um, I think they see the potential here, and uh, they're going to help unearth that. Right now, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's kind of an underlying question that's too big for us to tackle now, but... Uh, to at what point is GE going to be worth more as separate entities as it is yes. as one? Mm-hmm. So I mean that's something that everybody should have in the back of their mind. But yeah, well, when you look at the Baker Hughes GE, thirty-four yep. billion dollars in revenue estimated for twenty eighteen. That's no small fry. No, that's bigger than a lot of companies <laughs> that are listed right now. Um, so the bottom line uh, is that most investors, I think, are taking a wait and see approach on Flannery. Everyone will be ta- paying close attention to his first earnings call in November. Um, he, Emmelt had previously warned that the profit could be at the low end of guidance, so it'll be interesting to see how Flannery handles that. But uh, the, the company has a PE of just 16 right now, it has a dividend yield of 3.5%, and with the potential rewards of the restructuring, uh, as Taylor was talking about, still to come, I think G is probably worth a second look for a lot mm. of patient investors. Yep. Um, so thank you very much, both of you, for yeah. weighing in on these uh, huge topics. Sean, thank you for calling in uh, from Switzerland. I'm sorry for to listeners for some of the um, kind of interruption there, but it's that's what you get for intercontinental that's <laughs> communication. That's true. It's six hours ahead. And an and intercontinental host. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> nice job on your first episode. Thanks, sir. <laughs> thank you very yeah. much. Uh, well, that's it from us today. Uh, if you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus@full.com or tweet us on Twitter at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Taylor and Sean, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and full on. Thank you.